Bring to Matthew chapter 13 together. We're looking this morning, continuing our study through the parables of the kingdom, not just the parables of Jesus, but in Matthew chapter 13, we're in a section known of known as the, the seven key parables that expand upon the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is like, what it is, and Jesus is helping us to understand them through these similes that are extended into a story form. Remember, a parable is to come alongside, to lay alongside the truth. So Jesus has been teaching truth, giving truth, explaining truth, and then now, in this little section of the parables of the kingdom, Jesus lays alongside that truth stories, short stories, expanded metaphors and similes that give illustration to the kingdom of God. I'm going to go ahead and warn us this morning, as often some of you through, and I mean this funny and a facetious way, some of you are very technical hearers. And so I just want to give you some shepherding encouragement that when we look at the, particularly the parable even today, not to get too technical. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you what the theme is. Don't let your mind wander off into all the things that are not the point. There are many things here in, in these two very short, brief parables. They will not take long uh, to walk through today. But I myself have gone through them and thought, what about this and what about that? And I just want to go ahead and give you some encouragement that the Lord has led me in. And Legrand, that's not the point. And the point here is the kingdom of God. Particularly as we look, read with me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. Here we have the third of couplets, if you will, the third set of two uh, parables that are put together. And then the final seventh one is kind of a summary. We'll see that next time together, the parable, verse 47, of the, the dragnet. Beginning in verse 44, we see the parable of the hidden treasure. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like Treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the parable of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price... This merchant went and he sold all that he had to buy it. Well, this is the word of the Lord. As we look into these two parables this morning, our theme for both parables, short verses, verses 43 through 46, is simply this, the value of the kingdom of God. The value of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God worth? What is the kingdom of God? How is it assessed? In the eyes of men. Well, as men, we often place worth and value on all types of things. But here, Jesus is giving us the proper understanding of what the kingdom of God is assessed in the eyes of God. Here is what the value of the kingdom is. While some, while the Roman Empire may be looking at Jesus and his disciples and, and their message of the kingdom of God is here and being like... Pfft, What's that? Jesus is here to remind all of us of what the value of the kingdom of God is. And it's not Pilate's assessment. Remember Pilate in his conversation with Jesus? He said, truth. 
What is truth? Will we ever find ourselves saying truth? What is truth? We are surely those who have sold our souls for far lesser things, haven't we? Aren't we? And that's what we find in the assessment of Pilate, who looked at the way, the truth, and the life, and said, truth, what is truth? Well, last week together, we saw that the beginnings of the kingdom, Jesus wanted us to know that the kingdom of God and its beginnings were small, even hidden and obscure, but that the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God, is something that will grow, grows and will grow vertically, horizontally, and is absolutely immersive and pervasive. And we can take that hope in what he's doing in and through us, what he's doing in his spiritual kingdom today, and know that there will be a full consummation to this kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom that has ever before existed. Here, verses 44 through 46, we see the value of the kingdom. Again, one final reminder, Jesus is not dealing with morality or legality or even ethics, not as to say those things are not important. His point is simply dealing with perspective and assessment. Here we see in this parable this morning of the value of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in parabolic form what is really his call to discipleship in his normal preaching and teaching. We'll see a lot of similarities to where Jesus puts before people his call to lordship, his call to salvationship, his call to discipleship, and that Jesus will not tolerate any rivals. It's not Jesus plus other things. It's not Jesus plus something else. Or it's not Jesus second, third, fourth. No, it's Jesus first and supreme. And here he shows us in parabolic form what is in his normal teaching or preaching. For example, Matthew chapter 8, the, the call to discipleship, which we've already seen. Here Jesus gives us, lays alongside this truth, this parable alongside the truth that he has already given. And these parables picture salvation in Christ as incomparable and of infinite value to anything else. Notice with me again, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Well, here certainly Jesus begins to get our attention, doesn't he? We have an interest in treasure. We have, since we were just little kids, we spent many hours in the backyard looking for hidden treasure. Well, at least I did. I'm sure many of you did as well. Finding dad's shovel. I remember one time we moved from a monumental move from the city to the country. We bought a hundred-year-old farmhouse that was full of mystique and mystery, and I was trying to find all the hidden passageways and trying to find where the treasure might have been left by some previous bandit uh, for whatever. My imagination ran wild. There was two or three barns that went with the property. They were full of mystery and mystique, and spent many hours with metal detectors as I grew older, trying to grow smarter and wiser in that treasure hunt, instead of just digging randomly and trying to find that treasure hidden in the ground. We've all heard of stories of individuals who have done just that. They have a hobby to take a metal detector, and it's their hobby to see what might I find today as I go and take my daily walk. Well, listen, it was just the same in, in Jesus' day. He begins to reign in his listeners with this metaphor of, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. What we'll notice this morning between verses 44 through 46 is that both of these parables begin the same way. The kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like. Verse 45, the kingdom of heaven 
is like, very similar. They both end with precisely the same action item. The man, the proverbial merchant, the proverbial servant or slave, whoever the man is in the treasure parable, they both follow through with the same parallel action. Verse 44 says the man goes and he sells all that he has to buy the field. Verse 46 says he went and sold all that he had to buy the one pearl of great price that was found. We also see, just by way of introduction, that joy is the fuel of these, these actions. So we think about following Christ. As we think about like the call to discipleship, it's not something like you're, in one sense, people hear the call to deny self, and there are very real aspects that, yes, we die to self, but it does not mean that all joy dies with it. It's where we find true joy is in Christ. True joy is found in following Christ. True joy is found in denying self, taking up our cross, and following Him, valuing the gospel above all else. Friends, this is not duty. This is delight. And friends, if it is duty for you, then you need to be concerned. If the gospel is duty, if what drives your life is duty, and duty alone, with no joy and no delight, that is not the gospel, friends. John Newton, who wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, was a vast poet, wrote many things. The beauty of poetry is it sticks in your memory, right? So you can remember them. Newton says this, Our duty and our delight, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, they're joined to part no more. We're not throwing duty to the curb, but it is joyful duty that we go and sell all that we have and live in abandonment for the king and the kingdom. Number one, we see the value of the kingdom in verse 44. The value of the kingdom presented to us. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. One commentator says this, as Jesus begins to teach the story, stories of finding lost treasures naturally circulated among the Jews and even among the poor and impoverished particularly, Jesus uses this common storyline of the day. It would not be uncommon to hear two old men telling stories about someone who had the great find. Jesus uses this storyline to stir his hearers to seek for a treasure that is far greater than any here on earth. The background here to this is if we think about the value of the kingdom is Jesus immediately draws a line to the fact that it is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, that may ring weird to you and me, because when we think about treasure, we never really maybe stop to think about why is treasure out there in the field in the first place, right? Because we don't operate like that, or at least most of us don't. Now, some of you may, and we're not asking you to divulge your secrets here this morning, and that's okay. But in the first century world, in the ancient world, banks worked a little bit differently. Banks, there would be men on corners who were considered the bankers, and they would be the essentially just exchange exchanging currency, literally just doing minor banking uh, industry work, if you will. But the investment banking was a completely different sphere, not like what it is for us today. Your treasure, your investments, your inheritance that was passed down to you, if it was not in the form of animal and livestock and real estate, was precious jewels, diamonds, pearls, gold, silver, and you didn't trust anyone 
not even the banker. Maybe we should go back to that again today, not trust the bankers anymore. I'm sorry. If you're a banker here this morning, I apologize. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm being, trying to be funny as we see the, the current headlines even today in 2023. They would hide their treasures, not trusting anyone, many times not even their family. They would hide them in the ground. They would go out into their fields. They would go in the darkness of night into their backyard. And they would often put their treasures in clay pots. They would find common everyday earthenware vessels that flowers would be in. Just simply the the vessel that contains the treasure. They would put them in common vessels and bury them in the ground. They would find the, the tree, 10 feet from the tree, come forward 10 feet. They would come up with their own little system, right? They would bury the treasure in the ground. The point here is that the kingdom of heaven is like that. It is like coming across something unexpectedly, but when you are, when it is revealed to you, you see it through, the, through calling, election, regeneration. You see, your eyes are opened to see what is the gospel. You see it as the treasure that it is. You know, many men make their plans thinking they know what's going to happen with this treasure, and then they're called to war. They die. They've not told anyone about where the the system, the tree, the backyard, the tree, 10 feet to the right, 10 feet forward, 10 feet in, you know, all that kind of thing. No one knows. A generation goes. Another generation passes. Jesus tells us that all of a sudden a man randomly comes across a hidden treasure full of diamonds and pearls. He doesn't specify in the first parable what the treasure is, but it is something that we would say is a game changer. It's a reminder to us that men make their plans, but the Lord directs their steps, both the man planting the treasure in the ground and the man finding the treasure in the ground. Verse 45, again, illustrates for us the value of the kingdom. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant this is what he does. He's a businessman. He's looking to buy low and sell high. He goes wide and far, high and low, looking to buy low and sell high, right? This is what he does. He is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found just the one pearl of great price, he, he immediately goes and sold all the other pearls, everything else, and he goes and takes that liquidated asset, and goes and buys the one pearl of great price. Pearls in the ancient world were what diamonds are and what gold is for us even today. Pearls were once maybe known as the queen of gems. A natural pearl necklace would be of an estimable, invaluable worth. They were far more valuable than diamonds. In fact, some of the most expensive jewelry in the ancient world and ancient literature, Josephus and others describe, were not diamonds, gems, or gold. It was, it was pearls. Divers would go out and they would weight themselves down with rocks or some type of heavy weights, ropes that would hold them, take them down. They were obviously a deep sea divers, but they didn't have the equipment that we have today. They would jump over go as far down to a shallower ocean floor, obviously within reason, for enough time for them to be able to get to the ocean floor, holding their breath, have a sharp knife in their pocket, dig around trying to find oysters and clams, looking for pearls. They would discover that up on the surface level. Quickly cut the weights 
and then rushed back up to the top before they expired. In fact, because of the process and because of the rarity and because of the value that pearls began to have, cultured pearls were not perfected until what some estimate until the 1900s. One pearl could go for as much as a couple of million dollars. It began to be such a status symbol that Caligula, one of the Roman emperors, uh, his wife demanded pearls, more pearls, more pearls, millions upon millions. And it's recorded that even in the displays of lavish wealth that some of the Roman emperors, Caligula included, would dissolve the pearl in vinegar and drink it in front of the masses simply as an ostentatious display of, of wealth, put, putting it in their face. So there was a symbolic aspect that went to the, the wealthiness of pearls, the value of pearls. In fact, I was just doing a little research because I began to get interested. In 1934, a pearl was found by a Filipino diver and it was extracted. Uh, 14 pounds, 31 carats, valued as of right now. It's the most expensive pearl in the world at $16 million. So just trying to bring in even something that's even a modern day illustration. This is what Jesus is talking about, a pearl of great price. Because of what they symbolized, you can imagine when Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, giving warning to the ladies of the church to not be like, essentially, Caligula's wife, where Caligula's wife would walk in with literally millions of dollars on her person. Paul says, listen, when you gather together for the corporate assembly, your goal is not to give an ostentatious display of your wealth. That's not the point. We're here to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Later on, the New Testament church receives that same guiding admonition in regards to the practice of how pearls were used. Here in our text, Jesus introduces to us in this metaphor, this parable, a pearl of great price. And friends, I'm going to get to the heart of the message here when we think about the value of the kingdom. The pearl of great price is Christ. The pearl of great price is the good news of the gospel. The gospel reality, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, its value and its implications, what it performs in us, what it enables us to do is of far more worth than the world has to offer. It is this sphere of salvation to those of us who are disciples of Christ, who experience his heavenly lordship, his sovereign rule. Listen, this is the pearl of great price. And the point of this parable, there's many things. I want to be careful here not to try to get into what it's not, because we could spend all of our time talking about it's not this, it's that, it's not this, it's that. Today I'm just going to emphasize what the point is. And the point is simply this, abandoning all to embrace him. When you see the full scope of teaching of salvation, you're, the gospel does not sell something to get something. No, it's letting go of your sin, turning from all the treasures in your heart right now that you hold on to, and embracing the treasure that is Christ. Ephesians 2, it is not by works of righteousness that we are saved, but it is by his grace that he has saved us. The point of this parable that, that Jesus just is getting to the heart of is this is the value of the kingdom. Colossians 2 verse 3 expands upon this where Paul says Christ is the treasure. He is the pearl. Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures, plural, of wisdom and knowledge. All of the YouTube wisdom, all of the TED Talk wisdom, 
all of the Google Talk wisdom, any sphere, all of the gathering in the city, the public squares where philosophy, where philosophy is given, Socrates and Plato, wherever the people gather in the public square to hear philosophers dispense wisdom. Listen, it's found in Christ. All treasure, all wisdom, all knowledge is found in Christ. Solomon, when appointed as king, felt the weight of his task of being king. When asked of God to simply make the request as king of what he would desire, he asked the Lord for wisdom and for knowledge. And God gave him wisdom and knowledge and tacked on a lot of other things as well as we understand the record of Scripture. Solomon would go on to write in Proverbs, Proverbs 8, verse 10, My son, receive my instruction and not silver. In other words, Solomon brings into a comparable contrast to choose, in other words, to help us to understand how valuable, how precious, how rich the treasures of Christ are. He brings in, the same way Jesus does, silver, gold, rubies, and gems. And he says, my son, hear me. Hear the word of your father. Hear my instruction. Receive it, and not silver, and knowledge, rather than choice gold. And wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that one may desire cannot be compared to her. In fact, I'm going to ask, if you will, turn with me to Proverbs 8, 8 just briefly, because if we could look at one defining passage that really contrasts the value of what treasures are found in God and in Christ, it would be Proverbs 8. And as you're turning there, I'm going to read to you two other small side references. David writes in Psalm 119, verse 72, O God, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. Well, here's what's interesting about that. David's not speaking in a way that's unacquainted with thousands of gold and silver. If I said that, that'd be one thing. And if you said that, that'd be one thing. But David's sitting on a, a, as king of a, of a throne that has thousands of gold and silver, right? He's got it all. But he says, God, having it all, I recognize and know that in my heart, the law of your truth, the truth of your mouth, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of all the gold and silver. In other words, if I had to make a choice between all of this, which is rightfully mine, or the, or the Bible, the scroll, whatever would be within his distance, call someone to bring a scroll. He says, I'm choosing truth over all these earthly possessions. Psalm 119, verse 127, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. Look with me in Proverbs 8, verse 18. Solomon unpacks this in a way that it is so helpful for us to understand the value of the kingdom, understanding who and what it is in Christ, this wisdom personified. Wisdom says, the personification of wisdom, which is Christ, it says this, Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the foundations were settled, 
Before the processes of the water, the institutions of the foundation of the earth. Now, I'm, I'm, I've looked up from the scripture. I see many of you are still looking down. I'm taking a moment to pontificate. So don't want you to think this is scripture. All right, sorry. Before the processes of that which makes pearls was ever in existence. Wisdom, the treasures of God were in existence. All right, back into the text. Sorry, verse 26. While as yet he had not made the field or the earth in the fields, that which were treasures held or hidden, of course. Or the primal dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit. So that the waters would not transgress his command. If you ever wondered why the waters stopped. Certainly there are scientific explanations of the water stopping on the beach where it does. Why does it just keep coming? Why isn't it a tsunami every day? Well, this addresses that. When he told it to stop, when he governed its boundaries and laid down the, the limits of it, verse 29. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, verse 30, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. For blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise. Do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me, notice here, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. And all those who hate me, who choose for our purposes this morning, earthly treasures, any God over the gospel, love death. Friends, here's the point as we look ahead to the good news of the gospel. When we read Proverbs 8, it points us to the coming Messiah. It points us to the coming King who is here saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And the kingdom of heaven is valued like this. It is like a man coming across a treasure in a field. That is what the kingdom of heaven is life, the value of the kingdom. Number two, secondly, going back to Matthew chapter 13, the finding of the kingdom. The finding of the kingdom. There are two different men in these brief parables who come across the kingdom. Again, verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found the one pearl of great price, he went and he sold all that he had and he, he bought it. Here we find the, the finding of the kingdom. I've touched on this a little bit already. We have this illustration here in our text of a man. Verse 44, we don't know anything about this man. But the implication here is that the field doesn't belong to him. This man could be the, 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 the tenant farmer. He could be a slave. He could be a friend of a friend. The field could be up for sale, and he could be coming to assess the field. There's all kinds of things we just don't know and questions that come about as a result of this brief parable. But the point is simply this. A man is walking through a field, and he stumbles across a treasure. It could be that there's something gleaming in the sand, it could be that he's making and he has permission to till the land as a tenant farmer as he's renting this property and he's, he's coming across and as he's plowing up the soil, he hears a, a clink. Much like two little boys 
It is estimated heard when they threw rocks up into the caves of Qumran and they were just throwing rocks one day and they hear a, a clink, a shatter, a break. And what was it that broke? Well, as the Jews back in AD 68 through AD 70 were under persecution of Rome, literally being annihilated, many of them uh, in that community took their treasures, for our purposes this morning, took all that was of value as they ran, and that included the Word of God being put into vessels, being put into to clay pots in some type of form, and they hauled them up to these mountainous region and put them in caves. Their field was actually a cave, right? So they're hiding their treasure from the enemy. They put them in the caves of Qumran, and they heard a clink. And these little boys go up there. The men who originally took them there died out. We don't know all the background story, but they're just still there. And they find a vast treasure of manuscripts. That would certainly be... a pearl of great price. So this man, verse 44, discovers a treasure. Now Josephus and others, commentators in the Jewish mind in the first century world, make clear that it was literally a find, legally, it was a finder's keeper's system. According to the law, what this man is doing, we'll just say one thing, it's not ethically against the law. It was a finder's keeper's system. In fact, they had it nearly dissected down to the point, if you were to lift the treasure out of the ground, then you are then serving as an agent for the owner of the land. But if you leave the treasure in the ground, it is a part of the land. It is completely within your right to go sell, buy, and to obtain. Jesus doesn't get into all that. Again, the theme is the value of the kingdom. That's what we're to take away with here this morning. So we see the discovery of this kingdom, the finding of this kingdom, is like a man who comes across this hidden treasure in the ground and immediately recognizes the great wealth, the great value. He's obviously poor because he goes and scrapes together everything that he has to barely get the price for the land. But it's in getting the price for the land that he has found his ultimate treasure. Now this week, I was thinking through all kinds of scenarios. I was thinking, I don't think we think about this correctly enough. Imagine a piece of land that nobody else wants. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It is like a, it's like a piece of land or a piece of field that in one sense appears like no one wants that. That's not the, the, the corner of Main Street that everybody wants. No, it's, it's actually on the other end. It's abandoned. It's neglected, it's hard to find, and yet nobody else esteems it of any worth. No one comes and says, ah, I'm going to build the house of my dreams here. I'm going to come plant uh, my crops here. But yet this man happens to come across this, this, this plain, everyday piece of property to such an extent that I think this man, as he went home, he comes and tells his wife, says, hey, darling, hey, we're having a yard sale. Oh, good, I've been wanting to have a yard sale. We've been needing to clean out your books for the longest time. You can tell this is personal, right? And uh, the man says, no, 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 more than my books in this yard sale, we're, we're selling uh, your, your stuff too. We're selling your gold, and we're selling your pearls, and we're selling your jewelry, we're selling everything. Are you lost your mind? Did you just try to enter into the craziness of it? Yes. What are we, what are we selling this for? In our neighborhood this weekend, the whole weekend, has been centered around a a group yard sale. What's so funny is his value is always determined by the buyer, right? And so as I was coming in uh, to the neighborhood yesterday, I just saw heaps and heaps of things on the curb with signs that says, just free, right? 
So what started off at the beginning of the day of having a price of great inestimable worth, because Grandma gave us that rocker, but yet we need to get rid of it. No one valued it at that, so now it's just free. And you think about all the buyers who came previously who, who could have had it for $2. They wouldn't take $2, but now it's free. Right, I'm getting off track. This is the value of the kingdom. This man comes and everyone thinks he's crazy. This is what the gospel is like. When you abandon your life for Jesus, when you say, Jesus, you're king, you are Lord, you have the right to tell me what to do, I will align my life in accordance to the truth of Scripture. I will be led of your spirit. When my flesh says, no, I don't want to do that, when your spirit leads me to do that, then, Lord, I will do it. Wherever you lead, I will follow. That's what makes you the off-scouring of the world, church. That's what makes you, this treasure, this gospel, this pearl of great price is what makes you so weird because no one else thinks it's of the same value. They see your life, they see what Jesus is doing in one sense and they say, you're strange, but you're so kind or you're loving. Why are you, you're just different. You don't backstab me like other people backstab me and yet you have every reason to backstab me. I'm just trying to give some scenarios. Well, listen, let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me talk to you about the gospel. Let me explain to you about the kingdom of heaven. It's like a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. And again, the second illustration, very similar. And that leads us to point number three, the acquisition of the kingdom. Both men are led not just to words. Both men are led to action. Now, this action is actually astounding. This action is amazing. In fact, just go two, three pages back to Matthew 8. Because the last time we saw attention in the text like this, we saw some would-be disciples who were confronted with the demands of Jesus. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going the other way. I, I, I don't value your kingdom, Jesus. I act like I do with my words, but not with my heart, not with my actions. I'm not going all in. Matthew chapter 8 Jesus introduces us to two disciples who would come to him. Verse 18, chapter 8, verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's a weird response, by the way, but Jesus, knowing the man's heart, gets to the heart of the matter and simply says, listen, I know you. You're not cut out to follow me in this kingdom. Your heart is too ensnared with possessions, with materialism. And notice how it's just like silence. There's no, no, Jesus, you've got me figured all wrong. It's like, wow, you know me all too well. Verse 21, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first... Go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. If you were with us through that, you know there's a lot more that's there than on the, the surface level. It sounds like Jesus is being harsh. But our takeaway is, listen, Jesus never comes second. This man says, I want to follow you, but I need to do all these other things first, which may take 20, 30 years for my father to die. No, no, no. If you want to follow me and get in this boat to go to the other side, now is the time. Like Matthew, when I looked at Matthew and said, hey, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew literally gets up and leaves his money, his taxes, his paperwork, the receipts. 
and he follows Jesus. Friends, that is the effectual call of God at work. And when God works in our hearts, we all of a sudden see. How do you explain what regeneration is? How do you explain what the gospel is? Well, I'll tell you what it isn't. It's not what people caricature it to be. The gospel is not Jesus bringing me against my will to him. No, the gospel and regeneration and calling and election is the Lord working in my will, opening my eyes, helping me to see the value of the kingdom, where I see it and I abandon my sin. I abandon my desires and find my life in Christ, my life hidden in Christ. There are all types of caricatures given. But listen, God always works with our will, changes our will. The Holy Spirit, through the doctrine of regeneration, brings about the new birth and shows me Christ, shows you Christ and the inestimable worth of the kingdom. With actions so crazy that Jesus gives in parabolic form what is often not seen. In some senses it's seen, but here in number three, they leave and abandon and sell all because they have a new value system. You think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'd like to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? He says, good teacher. Using the common vernacular of the day, we often say, well, that's a good man. That's a good girl. That's a good guy, whatever. We know what we mean by that. They, they're sweet. They're every day. They're like us. They're Southern. They're whatever cultural words. And we use the, the, that language. But Jesus is speaking on a far deeper level. Why do you call me good? Because there is none good. This man does not come to Jesus as son of God. He comes to him as simply a, a, a teacher, a rabbi. Anyway, he uses the law, applies the law to this young man's heart. He tells him to go and to sell all that he has. Why does he tell him to do that? Because this man's life, this rich young ruler's life, is wrapped up in the here and now. And Jesus knows he can't follow him. He can't obey him because his God is lesser things. It's the good gifts of God that he's made God. And so, friends, what we find here is that where the gospel is, there's a new value system. Where Jesus comes in and reigns, he makes all things new. The Christian life is not just a little bit better than someone else. It's just radically, otherworldly, eternally different. The kingdom of heaven is something worth losing everything for. And we joyfully let go of all those things in order to passionately take hold of the one thing, and that is Christ. Here in these two parables, Jesus is speaking to two disciples who, like the merchant, he's, excuse me, he's speaking to his disciples, Peter, James, and John, who, like the merchant seeking the pearls, and who, like the man in the treasure in the field, would lose much for following Christ. In fact, for most of them, it would cost them what it does not cost us. It costs them their lives. Jesus is shepherding his disciples then and now. And they were following a king, and we are following a king, who in Matthew chapter 19, just a few chapters later, verse 29, where Jesus says, and everyone, he makes this promise, everyone who's left houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields, because of my name, everyone will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. Hear the words of the Lord. He will not be your debtor. You follow him. Listen, it's with joy. You follow him, and he will pour out grace upon grace. You, will, you follow him, and you get Jesus 
and everything else too. But he is first. He is supreme. And in his treasure, Jesus being the greatest treasure, comes so many wonderful other treasures that are his joy to give us as his children. And as we use these spiritual treasures and physical treasures, what we are telling with our lives is simply this. This is not my God. This is not my God. He is my God. And I have these things by his grace so that I can show you by the choices that I make and the life that I live that there's a greater kingdom than this kingdom. You want my tie? Here, you can have the tie because it's not about the tie. I'm being facetious to make a point. God wants our hearts to be rooted in Christ. It's not about what I have. It's not about what you have. I'll never forget the day. I was thinking about this as, as we came here. Of meeting a couple who manifested to this to our family's life. We're in transition coming to Grace Church. And, and, and God often in your stories, you know this as well. You've experienced this as well. God brings people into your life to help you at times when you, when you need it most. God brought this couple to just show the love of Christ to charity in our family. They were neighbors of ours. They lived in downtown Birmingham, just a street or two over. This couple had a house that was literally so big that our whole house, the possessions of our stuff, fit into their basement. Insane. Just, just insane. And I don't say that, but listen, God had their heart. We had a collegiate Bible study with UAB students, and they said, LaGrange and Charity, uh, let's start onboarding them Listen, this couple's in their 80s, okay? They're in their 80s. They said, we want to open up our home. You start letting them come to our house because there's going to come a point to where y'all are now gone. And we, we want to get involved in this ministry. LaGrange, you move your stuff into our basement, and, and we want to help. God's given us this. We want to help you in what God's doing in your life. This home is not our home. This home is our home, but it's given to us so that we can expand the kingdom of God. And this is how we feel like the Lord will lead us to do it. I'll never forget the day, that the day before we were supposed to move up here, and our van decides to just blow an oil gasket. Oil is everywhere. And we're like, that's our car. Like, how do, how do we get up to where we're going? They literally said this, here's the keys, here's our car. They gave us a car. They gave us a car so that we could just bridge the gap to get from Birmingham to Kingston. I didn't ask them for a car. didn't ask them for anything. But they were a couple that the Lord brought to my mind as I'm thinking about here. Friends, that's not just in the past. There's everyday ways that you guys here in this church, when we've lost children, lost babies, you've come along and said, the Lord led me to, to just give you this. You, you've shown that earthly values is not your treasure. Earthly things are not your treasure, but that Christ is your treasure. And you manifest that in how you allow the Lord to lead and guide you in the usage and the stewardship of your stuff. And I brought in that story just to simply say this. How, 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 what does Jesus want me to learn from that? A lot, by the way. Jesus brings those experiences. Jesus brings people into our life to model for us what Jesus is talking about right here. And where we say, well, that's just kind of hard. That's impossible. Jesus points you here and says, well, there's an example. There's an example. There's an example. There's an example. Now, keep following me, and I'm going to use you to be the same blessing. So, friends... We've gotten off track just a little bit here. Jesus is the treasure. This is the value of the kingdom. And by way of application here, may the Lord use us who've already listened. We're not looking for treasure here today. We're not spending our whole life looking for the great treasure. We found our treasure, and that's Christ. 
And now we live out that reality of kingdom first, Christ first mentality of saying, Lord, how can I be used by you today to be a blessing, to expand your kingdom in such a way that draws others through the preaching of the gospel, through the giving of the gospel, through the living of the gospel. May the Holy Spirit give us insight to re-examine, to re-look at our lives and say, how can I order my life in such a way to say my life is not about this? If it's about Christ. And if this gets in the way, then I will give it away. Or Lord, maybe you gave me this so that I can further expand and use the gospel or give the gospel or teach the gospel. God brings those people into my life and your life not by accident and not where it ends with us. God wants us to keep using that illustration for his glory and for our good. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for how you've poured out your mercy and grace upon each one of us in salvation. Father, how you daily load us, Psalm 103, with benefits. Father, how you order us, guide us to have proper valuation, proper treasures, understanding of what treasure is so that we can live out the power of the gospel, that our treasure is truly in Christ. Father, would we treasure you more than we treasure anything else? Would we abandon our sin, abandon everything else that would come between us and Christ? We thank you for the atoning work of Christ on the cross for your people. Father, thank you for the day that you opened our eyes like you opened Lydia, the seller of purple, you opened our hearts to hear the message that we may, may have heard a hundred times, but we didn't see it as treasure. But on the hundred and first time, your spirit worked. And that message that we have heard tons of times, all of a sudden we see it for what it is. That's treasure. Father, thank you for doing that in my life and in our lives. And we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's not been awakened to that reality, Lord, your spirit would call them to yourself and show them the true treasure of Christ. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.